my memory is actually shocking. People tell me things and then I completely forget the next day. Uh, and I get accused of not listening, so I do. But it's not probably like you. My mind is elsewhere all of the time. So right. Constantly. I'm always talking in my head. Um, uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you for, for joining us. Anyone who's joining us live, anyone who's watching this when it finally gets released, you're more than welcome. We're we're peering into the future now and imagine <laughs> all of the, the people who are going to be watching this. Um, I'm here with Corby Mitlide. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right. Corby is a psychic extraordinaire, medium, past life specialist, certified tarot master, inspirational speaker, intuitive counselor, and author of three books, Cleaning Out Your Life Closet, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road, and You've Got the Magic, Who Needs Jeannie? And I've been fortunate enough to read her first book, and um, I've actually just started on her second book. And despite all of that, she is very, very much um, feet-on-the-ground person. Um, from what I've listened to her and what I've read of her, she she takes no BS, if we can say that. <laughs> she suffers I'm no from fools. New York. New York does not do BS. <laughs> she, she suffers no fools. Um, and when you hear about her life, I, I think you'll understand why. She's also uh, been the featured or featured channel on Robert Schwartz's series, Your Soul's Plan, Your Soul's Gift, and Your Soul's Love. And interestingly, she's also an ordained minister in the Order of Melchizedek, which I do want to ask about. Um, yeah, and Corby has been through two marriages, three bites of breast cancer. She's been there. She's done it. She's seen it all. There's nothing that surprises her or causes her to arch one of those eyebrows like a an evil henchman from one of those James Bond movies that um, she got her inspiration from while reading her, getting her first tarot deck. Corby, very, very warm welcome um, to the thing. This has been long in the making and I'm finally glad we were able to f- do it for flip's sake. It just has been seen to be one thing after another. But you're very, very welcome. How are you today? Except for the fact that we had snow in mid-April falling outside. I am terrific. <laughs> Is that normal in New York? Obviously not. It Well, ish. Ish. Um, Mid-April is usually Mother Nature's last thumbing the nose at you before it gets really wonderful. But it's covering up the daffodils. It's covering up the leaves on the lilac bush. Mm. And we're just doing this. But we we will survive it. Um, I am at the very tip of the Catskill Mountains in upstate, uh, upstate New York. I live in a little bungalow. Yep. in the middle of a hayfield, and my neighbors are sheep and cows. And for a girl who grew up in a very large American city, it was a different planet when I moved up here. But it really is lovely. See, I always think of New York as, as just being this kind of sprawling city, you know, but you're saying you're looking out and you're seeing cows and sheep. That's I'm because happy. I'm 170 miles north of right, New okay. York City. Right, Me- okay. New York State is huge. It's six hours the eastern border from Massachusetts to the western border. So I know that for Europe, that's like, but for us, it's, we get used to traveling and we don't think of it really as miles. We think of it as time. So I'm three and a half hours north of New York kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think the size of Ireland is only about 
300 odd miles in, in total from the north to south. Don't quote me on that. So it, it goes to show you the, the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I suppose it's good then that you don't uh, you don't do house calls for your for your mediumship readings. I, I really don't. I still do the occasional do expo as I did this past weekend. But as I've explained to people, I can do everything via Zoom or phone. If I could yeah. only read you in person, how do you know I'm not reading your body language? And they all yeah. go, oh, yeah. So anyway. Yeah, it, it, it is a kind of new way of doing things. But, you know, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. It is. Um, it, it, you don't have to be there in person. Um, although a lot of people don't particularly like it. It's not my um choice of medium if, if you like if you can excuse the pun doing things over zoom but you know there really is no time there really is no distance in, in this you know spirituality you know is our spurts or if you want to whatever you want to call them are closer actually than your than your breath so it doesn't particularly matter whether you're doing it over the phone whether you can see the person whether you're blindfolded standing on your head it makes not one blind bit of difference only if you're comfortable really Mm-hmm. So you know that's quite a um, that's quite a resume that 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 we spoke of there, and you know I've kind of hinted and kind of you know laughed that um, you you've been through it all, but you've pretty much have been through it all. You know, I think that you've when I was listening to one of your other podcasts there, you've said like you know that um, you, you know you've you're, you're older than most of the um, the most of the, the the viewers or the listeners, and I, I that that's actually quite a good thing. Um, I don't mean that in the kind of derogatory way, but it could just show you the life experience that you actually have. And I would imagine that up inspiring or up up sparring or whatever the hell that word is, inspiring. Oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, aspiring. There we go. Thank you. Aspiring. Aspiring young uh, spiritualists and mediums would really look up to someone like you. You know, I'm, well, I'm wondering. Go the ahead. key is I take my work seriously, but me not so much. I've been reading since I was 18. I'm 67. What that does for you is it doesn't mean 67. Two magic words, darling. No children. It takes 10 years off your looks right there. Wow. You (laughs) would not have put you down at 67. I honestly would not. Thank you. Yeah. But um, when you're an elder, I won't say older psychic, when you're an elder. Yeah, elder. That's really lovely. Then you understand more what people are coming to you with. You are someone that says, I know you feel like it's impossible to get through, but I've done it and I'm not special. If I can do it, so can you. You know what you can do. You you rift through all of the things that I know. And people say, how can you do all that? And I say, when you've been walking this road for a half a century, you find out what you're good at. And that makes an elder intuitive, sometimes easier to talk to. We listen a little more closely because we're not so busy with our excited ego brain trying to figure out the right answer for you. That's really, really key. Yeah. um, I did want to ask you something there about that. And I guess, you know, we've talked, I've talked about this until I'm blue in the face and you probably Mm -hmm. are too, but you know, we're very much shaped by our experiences. And I think that most spiritualists or anyone who's really deep into this kind of work or deep into uncovering the truth of our world has, has, you know, has been through quite a lot, has suffered, you know, if you want to call it that, 
But obviously we know that our traumas are just here to shape us. They're here to separate us from the fluff, if you want to call it that, in the world, to look inside ourselves and uncover our souls, you know, Mm -hmm. and to make those deeper connections. And I know that obviously I read out a few pieces there, but I know there's so much more to your life that um, it would be hard to try and condense into uh, this this, uh, first interview. But... I would like if you could just to give us a bit of a summary because I know that you left a um, quite a uh, what can we say wealthy family um, and a family of um, very uh, professional or academics and to kind of follow your dreams and and do this here and mm-hmm. you know that it must have taken a lot of courage especially back then. You know, when there was less media about, less um, connections about, I'm guessing, you know, just less of everything about. So it must have been very hard for you to kind of strike out on your own. Um, and I well, know that your, your mother died as well. The the way it goes, I wouldn't say we were wealthy. We were what used to be known as upper middle class. My father was a physician, um, but we weren't millionaires. He was one of the old fashioned doctors who charged a fair amount instead of as much as he could. And when I was growing up, even in the United States, you could still have one doctor with his office and his practice. It wasn't the big conglomerations and everybody just charges through the through the nose. Um, my mother was an alcoholic cross addicted with barbiturates. And there was a level of jealousy about who I was I mean, by the time I was 11, I had a Dolly Parton figure. And my mother was always convinced that she didn't have look. She didn't really have anything that was worth anything except the clothing and the furs and the jewelry that she wore. Um, My parents' marriage was not good. But dad was a doctor. She was a nurse. My brother is a doctor. Um, I was a writer. I was an actress. I was a rebel. I could have stood on the dining room table and recited Shakespeare and they wouldn't have really seen me. So I went to one of our Ivy League universities for two and a half years, but still wasn't knowing who I was. So I simply left and had a very checkered career life, actress, author, inspirational speaker, video producer, executive recruiter, legal assistant, writer for a graphic novel series called ElfQuest for many years. I knew that what I had wouldn't be able to be in a traditional container. Let's put it that way. So I read a book when I was nine called The Witch Family by Eleanor Estes, and that told me there was magic in the world. I had to go find it. In 1973, when I was a senior in high school here, um, I bought the James Bond 007 tarot deck at a local shop called Spencer Goods, and I started reading, and I kept with it because it fascinated me, the stories they could tell and how I could weave the stories. So that was 20 years reading for friends. All of a sudden, in the early 90s, I could do hands-on healing and talk to dead people with no training. And I say, that's when the universe handed me my draft notice and said, hello, you're working for us. 
I did it part-time through all the other career stuff, through the bad marriages, all of that. And then as we watched the towers burn on 9-11, I turned to my current husband, the good one, and said, <laughs> I need to do this full-time. People need to know there are other answers out there. He said, I believe in you, go do it. So for one more year, I worked corporate 70 hours a week, did the psychic work evenings and weekends. And in 2002, left corporate behind. I've been doing this full time since then. Six days a week, I read about a thousand people a year. And I get to get up in the morning. I don't have to get up in the morning. That's the real gift. I, my family to this day, some of them accept what I do. Um, my brother still thinks I'm a fake and a charlatan and tells people that I'm a motivational speaker. Can't even say the word psychic. Live and be well. I still love him, but he's not going to stop me from doing the work I know I'm meant to do. Absolutely. Well said. And, you know, I think it just goes to show, um, where can I put this? You know, the, the plan for all of us, uh, you know, that we have in the end of the day, it is strange. I think that people... Mm -hmm think that simply because you are a psyche you're going to be born into a family full of psychics and everyone in your family will support and accept what what you do and kind of what you are and we we kind of both know that that's quite not the case um i've kind of remarked on this kind of myself is that most of my family have no idea what it is i do i don't talk about it anyway and again you know as you're right like i think most of them would kind of probably disbelieve me even when i came to sort of even announcing that I was kind of spiritual um, and I don't particularly like that term it's not that I don't like it it's just too broad do you know you could be anything yes. spiritual it's like saying you're religious well what religion do you follow anyway um, so even that there was kind of you know and then it, you get to that sort of thing well you know we'll prove it or you know they're faking it or you're no you're, you're no different from the person you know that kind of like well that we grew up with and I guess that's absolutely right. You are no different, but you but you are completely and utterly different. You cannot help mm -hmm. but change. You know, the further down this path you go, the more kind of on gifts, gifts and stuff like you uncover. So, um, it's it's just very interesting listening to listening to your story about that, and especially now at um at at, at your lovely, beautiful, really engaged where. You know, you, you've been doing this so long, and yet your your family and, and completely in the public too. You know, on television, the author of three books, doing all of these different readings, and yet there's still people within your family can't accept them. And I guess we just have to we have to accept that that is going to be their life. That is their life's journey. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, my father and my stepmother Shirley, they kind of knew who I was. And my father, as a matter of fact, he died a week before 9-11. He will often come in when I'm doing some medical intuitive work because he was a fabulous cardiologist. And um, one of my favorite stories about that, there was a woman who was a nurse and I was reading her. She said, could you do a medical? Just give me a baseline. And I feel the rustle of a white coat behind me and I point to the empty air. And I said, I'd like to introduce you to my father. He was a fabulous internist cardiologist, and he still makes consult calls. Now, I know nothing about medicine, zip nada. But when I went inside, all of a sudden, what came out of my mouth was, what's with the T waves? Now, T waves are oddball things on an electrocardiogram. 
she looks at me. She had abnormal T waves three weeks ago on an EKG. What did my father do for years as a cardiologist, but read EKGs? So I look over my shoulder and I grin and I look at him and I say, you know, you're still a pretty damn good doctor, even if you aren't dead. He laughs. Um, so in that sense, there are enough people who matter to me that no one accepts Yeah. What did Wayne Dyer say? What other people think of me is none of my business. I always think, you know, and this might sound selfish or thing, but it, it's really not intended like that. I always think as long, you know, if everyone rejects me, as long as I have my connection, as long as I still am able to talk and receive those messages <clears throat> and feel, feel, feel those messages and feel that love, then, then I'll, I'll, I'll have all that I need in this world. You know, it may come across as selfish, but I don't think it is. And I think anybody who, who has that connection will, will, will understand that, you know, when, when you can feel those bursts of love, when you can feel those upliftments that you get after talking yes. with them um, yes. or, or asking something, you know, your your life's okay. You know that you ultimately will be okay. And again, it, it's hard, but, you know, we, we're only here temporarily. We're only living a... a a temporary existence until we go back and rejoin them again. So um, it's it, it, it's interesting. Um, two things that you said there, one was about magic um, and the other was mm -hmm. about um, with doing this with no teaching. And the first thing that I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned something there about magic, about finding a book on magic or something or discovering it or going off to try and find something. And I kind of like, that's kind of where, not where it kind of went wrong for me, but where I kind of, you know, dove myself into this world. For me, kind of, I always believed there was magic in the world when I was growing up. And then to reach a sort of age where you don't have that anymore and you can't kind of find out that there really is no kind of magic was was traumatic for me. It was, it was as, as, as if I had found out that Santa Claus wasn't real again. And I think when I found that out, I buried myself in this world, you know, whatever was going on, whatever sort of connection that I have, whatever things that I was experiencing were, were, were kind of shut down. I just felt that, um, God, well, if there's no magic in the world, then I just have to get on and live a trudgy existence until many, many years later where I where I got an awakening again. And obviously through that there, I discovered that there is magic. And I just kind of wondered what your experiences of kind of that were. Well, when I read the book, it was 1964. That's when I was nine. And so I lived through the hippie era. And I was a hippie, honey. I had the elephant bell bottoms and the fringe jacket and deck. So in that sense, I mean, Sybil Leak was a big book. And, and so, yeah, magic was there. Not as pervasive and mainstream as it is now but we had glimmers. Um, one of my first experiences with it was in New York City in the mid seventies when I was a member for a little while of Blue Star Coven. Um, those who are in the pagan community will know the name Sephora, Sephora Cats. Um, we are still friends. I still call her boss. She still calls me brat. Um, but it's when I got to feel magic as in energy 
deep connection with the gods. And so I never was without it. I knew from my early 20s, it was absolutely there. Maybe I was in an atmosphere that didn't have it, but it didn't mean they weren't around. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, this is anecdotal evidence. Apparently, those of us that do this work, most of us got a clop on the head when we were kids. Seriously. All um, right. Okay. It's as if the, the clop on the head wakes up our third eye. My experience was when I was four and I was sledding down a hill and no one had taught me to roll off the sled if you're heading for something not good. So concrete bench, wham, and then rushed me to the hospital. It wasn't even fractured. I was upset about losing the sled because they forgot it. But it was as if that was the starting bell. And I, yeah. I started probably, I didn't think of it as magic then, but I started to look at what everybody else wouldn't see. And so many of my friends who are intuitive say, I fell out of a tree. I was in a car accident and hit my head. Uh, my brother tripped me down the stairs, whatever it was. So does that help us get our stuff early if we don't have it in the family? Maybe it does. Maybe it does. Who knows? But once I decided there was magic in the world, there was no way I was not going to see it anywhere I went. That's beautiful. I, I am actually struggling now to think where or when did I bang my head? I've probably banged it. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've banged it. I know I've had it uh, later in life, but I, I'm not too sure about things. But I've had that many accidents. Um, probably, I know I nearly drowned when I was a child, so... You know, one of those type of accidents, near death mm -hmm. kind of experience, probably thing. But unlike you, I didn't go that way. I kind of went the opposite way until many, many, many years later, where where I had an awakening, and from then on, it was just whoosh. You know, but I was I was completely and utterly lost that much that it was. Um, I was talking about this recently. It was almost like trying to deprogram someone who had been brainwashed. You know, to convince them because I had buried myself that much that I knew nothing about psychics and mediums. And it's only kind of, um, it's only kind of now where I'm looking back on my life to realize it was all there. It was all being set up for me, my interests in, in tarot and hypnotism and all that sort of stuff and magic and, you know, just getting books in them and then downloading hundreds of eBooks on out of body experiences. None of them were ever really read, but it was all there. You know, it was kind of leading me to that thing. And I kind of think that maybe, I don't think that your, your life is purely planned, but I think that we come here, we decide what we want to do in our pre-incarnation and our guides assist us along the way and they put things in our path and we have triggers that will help us remember along the way. Can you speak a little bit about that? We have our pre-birth plan, but we also have free will. And sometimes people get confused by that. Um, so this is the work that I did with Robert Schwartz in his book series. Karma is not carrot and stick, bad and good. It's five things. Unbalanced energy, which is a neutral. Healing, service, contrast, and healing of beliefs. So in my case, my pre-birth plan was learning that the female body is not what you're worth, it's a vehicle. Mm -hmm. 
that women should be respected as much as men. Yeah, this basically, because most of my incarnations are male. I do my tough ones as a female. So that's like choosing your university major. You're going to be a physics major. What's free will? Free will is where you decide you're going to take nothing but gut courses or double major plus lab. And so gut courses is when you sense what you're supposed to learn and you diligently learn it and you don't push the boundaries and you don't say no. It's just me. I took double major plus lab. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I came in with the, literally a Dolly Parton figure. And my mother was very jealous and we had a... I don't know, it's not severe, but it was key that she accused me of basically being promiscuous when I was still a virgin. And gut course could have been, I'll show you, and stayed a virgin until I was married. Instead, double major plus lab was, I guess I don't deserve my virginity, so I very clinically got rid of it. And for the next 30 years, thought that Anybody who wanted me for anything, I had no right to say no. Um, which is where the rapes came in, the bad marriages came in, the poverty came in, and also the breast cancer. My first bout was in 1989 when I was acting in New York. There's no record of this kind of cancer in the family. Four lumpectomies and radiation. Okay. Second bout was skin cancer from the radiation in 2000. In 2002, I finally married the right guy, and we're hitting our 20th anniversary this year. But apparently, I was still thinking this is all I was worth. So my higher self, my guide said, look, we need you down there to do the work. So we're going to remove the problem. That's when I got a third bout of cancer, but it was a second primary. Brings you back to zero on the danger clock. But the doctors in Massachusetts said, okay, three strikes, you're out. We're taking the rack, we're taking the ovaries, and you're going from this Dolly Parton figure to a fat fire plug with permanent side effects in three weeks. Suck it up. Now, when you live the examined life the way I do, you know that the rules are, yeah, this is happening and I don't want it, but it's happening. What can I learn from it? For me in particular, how can I teach with it? Next. So I knew that I had to find three reasons to be okay with why this was happening. First one was, you don't have them. You can't get cancer there. Second was, the top half is not going to get slammed in the refrigerator door at the doctor's every year, and every woman listening knows exactly what I'm talking about. Third, implants. I'll be perky till I'm 93. This is fine. So after a six-hour operation of a double mastectomy and reconstruction, I walked out of Massachusetts General Hospital in three days, shopped for a bathing suit in five. That was 2004. I'm still clean. To look at me now, you would never recognize that old figure. This is who I am. It immediately got me to stop thinking about what the body looked like and made me start valuing this, the heart, what I could do. Head, hands, and heart on earth for spirit. And in the beginning, you said constantly people are here in service and, you know, you don't have to be in service all the time. I agree with that in that you don't have to push it out there. Yeah. But if you know that that is what you volunteered to do, it's like you always make sure that that drawer is tidy and unlocked. 
So I teach with what I've gone through. I teach people about how to live the examined life. And was it fun to go through? Hell no. But who I am now is far more valuable for what I want to leave in the world than who I was. And okay, if I needed to do the cancer dance to deal with it, fine. Maybe I get to keep them next time. But I have no regrets. Really don't. And I found out what a hero my husband is because you know this was only a year and a half into our marriage and it was going to permanently derange it. But he said, am I going to miss them? Oh, yeah, they were gorgeous. But I married you, not them. Did it completely change the marriage we thought we were going to have? Yes. It has taken a lot of work for us to stay together, but we both do it. And hit in 20 years, I think we love each other more now than we did the day we got married. That's not a bad thing. That's pretty. That That's a very amazing, very inspirational, very powerful, powerful story. And... I'm sure, as you know, fine rightly, it's those who have the most growth or want to have the most growth are the ones who kind of suffer the most. And simply knowing what it's all about and knowing that this is part of your journey, it's part of your growth, does not make it any easier. And like Jesus, was it Jesus said? Pass the cup or whatever. I can't quite remember. Take the cup from me, yes. Take the cup from me. You know, I think that uh, those who are go through the most growth, the ones who saw the most, and we all have our garden of Gethsemane moments, mm-hmm. yes. don't we? Um, yeah. And we, even though, even if we know what it's all about, even if we have those connections, even if we're, we're oh, please do not let me go through this. Do I not deserve a little bit of happiness, a little bit of respite? But you're right, experience like that can only help a brand you in the fire and remake you and come out of that with with so much to offer so much empathy so much love so much tolerance forgiveness understanding and the, you know the amazing thing about that is that the use of managed to stay together where so many other people would not have especially in mm-hmm. uh dare i say today's kind of uh throwaway society where oh, people We'll, we'll, we'll drop each other the, the the thing of a hat to stay through that. You know, you must have, uh, you must be soulmates. You truly must be soulmates. It's it's amazing. The the one thing I will tell you about going through the stuff is um, it does give you very strong boundaries because with me, if someone keeps pushing. I stop them. You know, one of the one of the things about reality shows like the Long Island Medium, which drive me crazy, you see her walking up to someone and going, "Excuse me, your aunt Doris says you have a bald tire. You're going to die in a week if you don't get it fixed. Just calling you right now." And she walks away. Now, this is a unprofessional, b rude, and c false because you know how litigious the American society is. So her PR people go out and they take a look at all of the Wegmans grocery stores on Long Island. They choose one, they interview people, they make them sign model releases, and then they rehearse it six times. But people who don't really know how that works thinks that they're allowed to do that, which is why people are afraid of people like us. They think we have no boundaries. And it it comes back on us. I know that there was... Um, a time at one of the expos that I do 
and I had a headache. It was pretty bad. And you know, I'll I'll call her a little dancing raccoon, you know, one of the glurpy purple types. Oh, I do Reiki. Can I help? And I said, no, thank you. And she goes, no, really, I can. And she comes at me like, you know, practically like Guinan on Star Trek. And I said, back off. She goes, you're not very spiritual. You're not very like, well, you didn't listen to my no. Like you said, New York, don't take any crap. But um, that's... That's one of the things that going through all of the stuff I've gone through. Yes, we're very tolerant on a lot of things and we understand how people help, but we also know who we are and what we will not deal with. And we're strong about that. You don't push us because we will push back. And if that makes me an ornery old lady, so be it, baby. I've earned it. <laughs> you absolutely have. No, it is. You're you're completely right. And it, it's what I was saying about service. You know, I think in the beginning, we can kind of run about willy nilly, trying to please everyone, trying to do the smallest of jobs, thinking that it's part of our service. Mm -hmm. But eventually, when we start maturing along the spiritual path, we begin to discard things and that may make us yes. appear to the untrained yes. eye that we are selfish. It's not we recognize where our strengths are where we need to be dedicating our time because ultimately we're only going to run ourselves in the ground. And it's something that I have learned and I'm still learning that I need to cut back on doing things that ultimately are not going to change people's lives. You know? And you have to ask yourself, why are you doing it? Yeah. Little dancing raccoon had ego involved. She didn't really care about my headache. She wanted to show off. So if you just find you're doing things and doing things, ask yourself truly, is it to feed my ego or do I really care? Uh, absolutely. It's, it's a double-edged sword. It is. And I, especially this social media aspect of it, you know, mm. in a one way it's fantastic because uh, we can get our message out there. We can get our experience out there. We can teach so uh, much and, and such a wider format but it's a double-edged sword because we have the likes, you have the views, you have X, Y, and Z is getting more screen time than me. And so it, it is hard. You have to constantly remind yourself, like, what am I doing this for? What ultimately is my purpose in doing this? You know, and forget about all of that kind of thing. Take the ego out of it. And it is hard. It is hard, especially when... Um, I've talked about this too. People think that I'm constantly <laughs> picking on influencers, but it's just symptomatic of today's society where we see people who are reaching millions of people for what? For what? For, for rubbish? When it's the likes of your work that should be in households, that should be reaching people, that people should be aware of. Um, so it is hard that, but ultimately I think that... Um, what we're doing and what's coming is not going to be for the entire world. You know, unfortunately, um, spirituality and that very uh, deep insight, that very deep realization of what what we ultimate are, where we're going, where we're going through as a society is not going to be for everyone. Um, it's only going to be for potentially uh, a small amount. Well, hopefully not a small amount of the world <coughs> population. And I guess that's why the word is like this. 
unfortunately we can't go out there and push our message on people we have to just let them come to us and if, if it's what we're meant to be doing we'll be guided and helped along the way yes that is exactly right you know i've been told many times you should do TikTok. you'll get thousands no i am not going to compete with kids that have been reading tarot for two years and go wow look at the card for today no thank you uh, i have better things to do with my time and um it's just when you know who you are when you know what your celestial job is do i do social media yeah i do I mean, look what i'm doing here but <laughs> frankly if i'm being new york blunt I love getting to shoot my mouth off to strangers. Of course, I'm going to do podcasts. Um, I let the testimonials I get speak for me. I don't have to constantly remind people. As a matter of fact, you know, I lost a reality show. I was yo close. And they were saying, I will tell everyone, you know, that you're so amazing and nobody can do. I said, wait, 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 wait. I always tell people I'm not special. You can do what I do. Mm -hmm. That's a lie. They said, oh, well, we don't have any room. And, you know, oh, they went off with a Hollywood medium or something. It was not worth making my life a lie to have fame and a few thousand dollars. And frankly, these days we get death threats. It's, it's a funny thing. In my book, You've Got the Magic Who Needs a Genie. I wrote that for the next generation of intuitives who want to go on circuit. I used to do 45 weekends a year, 45,000 miles a year on the car. My nickname was the Travel Channel. Well, I'm not doing that at 67. But one of the things that I show people in there is that I always have a signing sheet. I'm going to show it here. Yeah. There you go. Why do I insist on doing that? Because then I have the handwriting of every client I've been with. In London, Ontario, about 15 years ago, there was a young man who did not like what I told him. And the next morning, I found an anonymous death threat in my booth. I was able to match up the handwriting with the signing sheet, handed it over to the Ontario police and let them handle it. We are not all glurpy purple with angels, kids. This is a tough business sometimes. It's, you know, there are other psychics who believe in scarcity. Well, if she reads, I won't. Um, I loved Debbie Dyer, who was the person I would share a, a large booth with in Canada. If I was reading and she wasn't, her only thing was, my people aren't here yet. It's okay. That's the way it works. And there were some times where she would read and there'd be crickets on my side of the booth. This is not a competition. There are 8 billion people in the world, my darlings, and no one psychic can read them all. There's lots for you. But that's one of the reasons I want to train people and give them everything I know. Because 67 is not 27. I will be out of here within 30 years. Y'all are going to have work to do. So here, this is what I learned. Don't reinvent the wheel. Listen people to your story. Yeah. Listen to your furry girl, Mother Corby. She is telling you the truth. <laughs> yeah, my feathers, my feathers. Um, yeah, it is. You're touching on something that I've mentioned. There are, you know, in this community, people um, doing podcasts and having their own thing. And I, I talked about this recently that um, people think that 
you know, well, I'm spiritual or I'm doing this kind of work. I'm, I'm using spiritual as an overarching term for everything in that kind of field, whether it's mm -hmm. recce healing, whether it's mediumship, whether it's tarot, whether it is uh, drum beating, whether it is astral projection, whether it is shamanic work. So I'm, I'm using that umbrella, okay, to encapsulate all that sort of stuff. And they think that because doing this kind of uh, thing that they have escaped the ego, they have escaped this uh, idea of the rat race type of thing. I always kind of say, well, well really you haven't because you're kind of in your, your bubble over there and I'm in my mm -hmm. bubble here and they're in their bubble there. And where's the community? Where is the connection? People think that um, doing this here, you know, well, I can't, you know, uh, collaborate with Emmons or give them our time or whatever because they're going to yeah. steal my followers. And so it's just another form of egotism that you're in. If you can't mm -hmm. understand that it doesn't matter, there is enough for everyone. I know. Those are the kind of people that I say feel their aura don't stink. Um, one of the things that blew me away is when I was on the road, if I would find another intuitive who's a rookie, I would say hi and you know tell me about yourself. And I'd bring them over to my booth and I'd give them, you know, business cards, rack cards, any of the paper paraphernalia I had and say, use, you know, use these as examples. Just don't steal my words. There's only been one psychic who literally stole the words onto their website and you know they were cut but a lot of other psychics said how can you do that they're going to take your ideas no they're not they they're two three four years into this i'm 50 they can't steal who i am and anyone who's who's read with me knows i am like pretty much nobody else out there because People laugh at my booth. I have done stand-up comedy on You Think a Psychic's Life is Easy. Nobody flips cards as fast as I do. Um, I do a one-hour free reading every month on my Facebook page. And I'll go through 40 people in an hour. And it's not just a one-card pull. It's three, four, five cards. Boom, 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 boom. And my life experience, somebody who's done this for four years does not have my life experience why would I fear them? The more you understand what your gifts are, the more you understand why you're here, the more you relax. Spirit would not tell you to do this and then lock you in a box where nobody comes in. Trust it. Yeah. Um, I guess uh, part of that is also when you look back upon your own kind of life and go, well, how did I get my learning? You know, did I pay for it? Did someone charge me? I mean, that was the other point I meant to ask um, you actually, Corby, was that, you know, you never learned this of anyone. It just seemed to come naturally to you. You know, you started um, hearing spirit, you started hearing dead people and never trained for it. You know, how did that all come about? How did you progress? How did that progress from going, okay, well, I hear this now to I know exactly what I'm doing without any kind of direction? Well, I did take uh, about a month's worth of mediumship from a very talented uh, spiritualist in Western New York, Reverend Jane. But that was after it was already happening. I think the key was I'm a past life specialist. What does that mean? Um that means that I'm able to help people find who they used to be and unravel a difficulty in this life. How did it work with me? 
Uh, the first one was in the 1980s. There was a rock group in Philadelphia. I'm not a groupie type, but the lead singer, psh, right there, could not understand what the mad attraction was. Uh, I did some past life work with a, f- a friend who was friends with somebody else in the group. We had figured out everybody except who the lead singer had been, but we knew that they were somewhere in England in the or Scotland in the 18th century. And we were having linguine and clam sauce at a main line restaurant. And all of a sudden in my head came Marcus Barron, Gordon Huntley. I'm thinking, what's this two titles? I knew about Wars of the Roses from college, not that period. This is way before Outlander. But what do you do when you hear these things? You go to Debrett's Peerage. And flipping through, I found there was in 1752, Alexander, 12th Marcus of Huntley in 1783 or four, which is when I knew the visions I were getting was from, he became Baron Gordon of Huntley, Marcus Baron Gordon Huntley. I'm sorry. That is so on target. And once I realized who he was, the um, obsession went away. I knew exactly why and who and how we had been and got the lesson. In the early 90s, I visited a place called the Old Rhinebeck Aerodrome in Rhinebeck, New York. They have 1909 Blériots to 1930s Barnstormers. And I knew nothing about World War I, couldn't stand the idea of Germans because all I knew was World War II. But something happened at a visit there that immediately alerted me to who I was in World War I and the German Air Force. So... When you get these things, it starts waking up everything. The first experience I had with talking to dead people was in 1994. I was working with somebody in Colorado and we found out exactly which pilot I was. And we got a vision of a short, balding, stocky man in World War II Luftwaffe, very depressed. We figured out who that was. He had committed suicide and he was very connected with um, Hermann Goering. So we were able to somehow pull him out of the box he had left himself in. We get, when we die, we get what we expect. And that opened me up to being what I'll call a doorway in that when I went back to Atlanta one night, all of a sudden there was this little German trench soldier in my living room. This much of his face was invisible because it had been blown away. And he was obviously lost. The first thing he said was who won. And when you do this, you have to explain, it doesn't matter anymore. You get them to forgive those who killed them, forgive themselves for killing. And then you can help the spirit dissipate, go into the light, however you want to put it. So that was my first experience with talking to dead people. Now, when I do mediumship, I don't do it the way a lot of people do. I don't just reach and tell you who's there. Um, The most talented person I ever saw for that was my late friend Allie Cheslick. We called her Chatty Cathy of the Dead. Because she got him and she, she would just go. With me, I get what I call their dog tags. 
their name, who they were to you, the year they died, and how old they were. It immediately gets me into the energy. And my guides play charades with me. I just put my <laughs> hands out, and then this means they smoked. This means they did marijuana. This means they had an accident. This means that they were intubated on oxygen, having trouble breathing. And I just let it happen because that's much more, it's a woman in a flower dress, a rose, she loves you, it's grandma. But the thing is, when that happens, I don't censor. Um, Now, I'll tell the clean version of the story that explains why I will never do mediumship live on the air or in public. There was a biracial same gender couple. The black partner had died and her white widow wanted to speak to her. I got her immediately, but what came out of my mouth in flawless urban ebonics, I will not say on the air. (laughs) And I was going, but the woman in front of me was laughing and nodding because that is how her partner, Isabel, walked into the house after every business trip. Now, remember we talked about ego. If I'm worried about I can't say that yeah, or what's going to happen, then she wouldn't have gotten that message. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for me, mediumship is absolutely a private thing. Now, I'll do past life galleries and have. We have something in the States called First Night, which a lot of cities do on New Year's Eve. It's citywide. It's very family oriented. So it's not a bunch of, you know, crazies drinking, et cetera, et cetera. And I did past life galleries and 150 people would come in and I do as many as I could in 45 minutes. They'd leave. The next group would come back. I was a crispy critter by the end of the evening, let me tell you. But it was things like this. A woman said to me, I'm really fascinated by the 40s and World War II and the music and why. And it took me a few seconds and I said, okay, you were a large Italian family. There were five children, three boys. All three went off different branches of the service. And your mother was very, very strong. She supported USO and war bonds, the whole thing. And the brother who was in the Air Force was killed. And your mother said, we will not wear black to mourn because he was fighting for his country. So the women in the family wore sky blue. And the woman just gets up very slowly, zips open her jacket. Remember, this is New Year's Eve. It shows me underneath sky blue. She says, that's always been my favorite color. You know, that's a wonderful, fascinating thing. People go, ooh, but it is not something so private Mm. that it could open somebody up too much in front of strangers. Yeah, or embarrass them. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, exactly. Have you, have you found one thing I was going to ask you? Have you found your mediumship changing over the years? Because I, I hear <clears throat> quite a lot about that. And, you know, uh, people say their guides are, are working with them in different ways. You know, they're, they're working through one of the different clairs, whatever. Would you find your mediumship has changed, developed, um, evolved? It's developed, but I don't see it as my guides are working. I'm going upstairs and working with my clients' guides. All right. They're the ones who are allowing. The personality to to come out of the closet and, and come talk. Um, our guides do change. The way I explain it to my clients who want to know who are my guides, I say, look, this is my understanding. We all have at least one guardian angel who's with us from birth to death. 
They have our names in the back of their tunics. You know, I belong to Margaret. But guides will grow and change as we do. You don't have the same teacher from kindergarten to PhD. I know in the beginning of my serious work in the 1990s, who my guides were, were the people I flew with 100 years ago. We had each other's back. We, we made sure we lived. Um, now, my main guide apparently is the angel that I work with. The name he's given me is Baruchio. But it's a matter of when you know you're absolutely doing the work you meant to do, you know you've got your wingman at your back. People say, do you always pray? Do you always you know, clear the energy? I don't anymore because I'm so, I am so thoroughly saturated with guidance and protection. When I'm doing this work, I'm just the tube that comes through. And I trust, okay, working for the boss, let's get going. Again, ego is where you fear the negative energies. Mm-hmm. Okay because the negative energies might hurt me, me personality. No. Um, I do tell people that, especially if you're rookies, you do need to learn how to ground center and shield. Do not get me started on Ouija boards. Mm. Um, But it's, ego is the worst thing in the world when it comes to reading for other people. You need ego because that's what protects you from the little dancing raccoons. But when you start thinking, God, I am such a psychic, God is going to look at you and go, yeah, let's see what happens now. (laughs) And you're going to lose that gift because sewage is flowing through that tube. Is that mean to say? Maybe. I am not what I call glurpy purple with angels. Uh, I'm not. It's. Here are your opportunities and how to grab them. Here's the tough stuff. Here's how to get through it or around it. Here's your toolbox. I am a practical intuitive, but that is also practical about what I can do, what I can't, what I'm going to do the best work and what to keep out of my atmosphere, whether it's discarnates or dumb people. You know, it's like you say, you shouldn't always try to be in service. I say you shouldn't always try to be uh, what's not not holier than thou, wicky wooier than thou as well. I'm so spiritual. Really, I am. Yeah, yeah. It's that what do kind you of... mean that you're eating meat? Spiritual people don't eat meat. Yeah, well, have you seen my blood numbers when I try to be vegetarian? It doesn't work. Yeah. So are you going to tell a First Nations indigenous shaman, you're eating buffalo, you're a bad shaman. They're going to look at you and they're going to laugh. Sorry. Yeah. It, it, it's this kind of um, wokeism, which is completely different from the woke that we're accustomed to, which is kind of infiltrating, you know, our, our modern psychics and our modern um, mediums. But I just wanted to ask you something there because um, you're talking about angels and stuff like that there. And I mm-hmm. think that um, certainly it's very different in, in the UK. They don't talk about protection and stuff like that. And certainly in the places that I've been to, to try and study mediumship, it's almost... I was going to ask you, do you think that um, obviously it has that, you know, mediumship has evolved as, I don't want to say spirit have evolved, 
but I think that human consciousness has evolved where we can be granted more of the truth. We're not kind of like the kids now, so we're growing up a bit. So, okay, well, you're ready for a bit more information. So I think that's kind of it. But certainly in the organizations that I've been in, it just seems to be this kind of stillness, unmoving, mm -hmm. and they don't even discuss angels you know, mm -hmm. it just seems so archaic, so old-fashioned. And I just wanted to ask you about your opinion there, opinion on that. You know, they certainly have a way of doing things. And, you know, they, they before you become a, a fully trained medium, you have to sit in circle for four, five years, mm -hmm. you know, which is good as well because, you know, the, the standards are higher, but it just doesn't, hasn't seem to progress in a lifetime. Maybe. Zenith, um, you know, when I talk about angels and things, it's because so many of the people that I work with, I'm very good with rookies, the people who have a schnitt of knowledge about what's out there. And so if they need to see androgynous things with wings, fine. Um, they, they have to understand Angels are not, were not, will never be human souls that graduate. Mm -hmm. It is not like it's a wonderful life. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets a <laughs> No. But none of us, none of us are going to really know what's up until we're dead. Mm -hmm. We make guesses down here. It's kind of like trying to bring an ant into a calculus class and expecting it to know what it's doing. It can't even hold the pencil in its little paw. I mean, it's just not there. And we're like that. We're the ant in the calculus class. We do the best we can with what we've got based on our belief systems and how we think the world works. None of us are going to know until we get up there. Yeah. My, my personal sense is God is way too big to worry about the little tiny things that religions try to control. Okay. It's for instance, I say there's a difference between Christianity and churchianity. Churchianity is the control. Christianity is wanting to reach whatever that spirit is. And it is when we get into churchianity in whatever form that the wars start. Um, in, in the United States, you know, Jesus is loving, Jesus is wonderful, blah, blah, blah. But Jesus doesn't like you because of this or you because of this or you because of this. And I'm allowed to control your body by this and, and, and. But I'm Jesus's disciple. Your nose is growing, Pinocchio. That's churchianity. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, so something that I was talking about recently, talking about Jesus and completely misunderstood and how people use that person for their own political gains, really, at the end of the day, without completely understanding what his message was about. It, is, it, it drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it actually kind of puts me off people. And again, this is my own, this is my own, um, my own kind of issues that I need to, to work on. But I do when I come up against someone who identifies themselves as Christian or, you know, born again type of thing, it does kind of get my hackles up a bit, it gets my defenses up. So, but that's kind of my own issue. But it's just because, dare I say, I have a very 
personal and deep connection with Jesus. And I just, I'm trying, as I think we all are, to, to live more by his ideals and to bring more of that love into the world that he sought to. And just to see his message abuse and people use his concept for their own kind of political gains does drive me crazy a bit. I know. Um, the way I try to get people to think about it is the Christ consciousness. Mm -hmm. Jesus just happens to be the most famous suitcase that brought it down. Yes. Absolutely. So. Completely, fully self-realized. And this is what it is. He, he was imbued with Christ consciousness. And I think his message was, was that we could, just like yourself, I am no different. You could all do what I do. I am trying to teach you. And it's been completely misunderstood. Instead of saying, follow me, do what I'm doing, they've put him on a pedestal and said, worship him. And you're only going to get to him through us, a middleman. And I've constantly said, you don't need a middleman. You do not need a middleman in any of this. It's crazy. And, and when they say, what you're doing is evil, I just look at him and say, go read uh, Acts chapter two, please. Even <laughs> such as I do, you can do. Hello. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's crazy. It really is. We could, oh, we could go on all day about that's the nature of good. But we need beer. Evil and, and we stuff need like a that. couple of good pints to be able to do <laughs> Yeah, so look, um, let's get on to your books then, because sure. um, at some point you decided, I want to write a book. I want to write a self-help book. What was the thought and the inspiration behind that? Well, words have always been my drug of choice, is how I put it. You tell me I'm not allowed to write anymore, and I will die by inches. But the book came out of the idea, one year I asked my clients, what are the most important things that you want to look at. And the four things that came up far ahead of everything else was clarity, adaptability, simplicity, and making friends with stress. So that's where the book structure came from. But why the book? I will give $50 cold cash to anybody in your audience that can swear they have never bought a self-help book. They can't. We all have. And my first self-help book I bought in 1968 when I was 13, and I still remember the first paragraph on chapter one. Judy has a groovy wardrobe. Judy's hair is fab and her makeup is far out. But nobody likes Judy because Judy's fat. So there you have a 13-year-old who was told, it doesn't matter who you are or what you do. If you don't look right, you're worthless. Remember what my lessons were. So... We are a victim society, at least here in the U.S. You're told you don't know enough. You have to ask the experts. I mean, one of the most egregious things in the U.S. are the constant drug commercials. Ask your doctor if Blarg is right for you. Well, you know what? Your doctor knows what's good for you. But the advertisement is you have to ask. You have to trust the big people. We're big pharma. We know more than you do. Um, and fear. The commercial that I remember is you haven't had a heart attack yet, but there's one coming and it shows a hospital gurney stuck in a revolving door. And how stupid. <laughs> so my idea was to write a self-help book that isn't based on what I think you should do, but what your life is about. 
the the one that really kicked me on this is a woman who wrote and said you have to avoid all food with leptin and you really need to get up 4 30 every morning and do yoga if you are a single mom with two preschool kids and you live in milwaukee and you have a job you're not going to do that the book doesn't speak to you so the way i structured my book was here are some of the stupid things i've done and maybe here's a client story and here are some thoughts but at the end of each chapter are what I call the adventure pages. And the adventure pages. Do you have a copy there? You could, you could put up I the do. screen. I'm, I'm right here. Brilliant. I'm going to give you an example of how you have to answer the questions. Okay. Let's take the chapter, Why Perfect Isn't What You Think It Is. Has perfect been a friend or foe to you in your life? Why? When did the search for perfection stop you from doing something important? How so? Think of a challenging situation and find three perfect things about it. How do your feelings about this situation change? Notice, you cannot go to page 87 and copy my answers. They have to come from them. Yeah. So when if you do all the answers, all those questions, after each chapter, at the end of the book, this is now your personal manual. And your best buddy could have bought the book the same day, read all the stuff, done all the questions. That would be their personal manual because it would be completely different answers from yours. It is a book that says, I trust you. When you are in charge of your changes, you're in charge of your life as well. Right. Simple as that. It is. And it forces people to think about, you know, because at the end of each chapter, there are those kind of question sessions. Mm -hmm. It does force people to think, well, what am I doing about this? You know, what way is my life currently? Because most people, um, I guess, unless they kind of pick up your book, are just kind of living a kind of robotic, unconscious life. And right. the, the, your book, especially the questions in it, actually forces people then to examine their life, examine what they're doing. Is what I'm doing making me happy? Am I just kind of going through the motions? You know, is there anything that I could change about my my life? And so that was yes. one of the things that I, that I really enjoyed about it. Um, mm -hmm. Also, the, the things about, you know, like uh, how you deal with stress, um, your, yes. your, your kind of leftover ingredients that you've just kind of, named into recipes and stuff like that things mm -hmm. like that which are just fantastic little tips you know and just these kind of stories about them like i'm struggling to think of that one but it's basically just make what you have you know everything doesn't have to be perfect if you've got a couple of things and just make the best of them give it a name jazz it up really at the end of the day and that can be applied to your life you yes. know don't look at don't look at the, what is it the glass half full or the glass half empty look at it as half full you know, see what you can do with, with your life with these kind of audience and see what you can make out of it. Even more than that, the glass is refillable and you the have the water pitcher. Brilliant. That 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 that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, and um your first part is obviously getting clear. Um and you've, you've actually broke it down into about three different parts, I think, haven't you? Mm -hmm. Yes, I call that your three-legged stool. Yeah. If you get clear on your purpose. You get clear in your relationships and get clear with spirit. You can do just about everything. Yeah, it really is a fantastic book. I would absolutely recommend people to pick it up. Um, and so it, it's just this kind of, uh, you've more or less said to everyone, you know, like it's not me telling you how to live your life. This book will uh, force you to examine your own life through the tips and the tricks 
that mm-hmm. I've produced in this book or that I have thinged in this book. And hopefully by the end How of it. How about invite you instead of force you? Oh, yes, invite you. Right. Absolutely. Apologies for using okay. that kind of strong. That because language. Only because of the, oh, it's going to force me. I don't want to do that. But it will say, let's go play. That's, let's go play is the whole point of the book. And it's chock full of your own kind of, I can't remember now, but it's chock full of your kind of own uh, unique vocabulary, let's say, yes. which I absolutely <laughs> love and adore. Yeah, it's so refreshing reading something that causes you to think, what is she actually saying here? You know, to put these two words into a context that I would never have, have imagined before, it's, it's almost kind of saucy. <laughs> um, one of the things I think you're talking about um, is when I talk about um, the fact that I may have stuff in the refrigerator and it's just going to be a one and done recipe. Let's, if it's chicken, it's chicken TR. Well, what's TR for those that are not American? TR stands for Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was yes. one of our presidents. And one of his favorite sayings was, do what you can with what you have where you are. So chicken TR, I, I did what I could with what I had where I was. And I may never make this exact recipe again. But for now, it's fine. And Carl loved it. Carl's my husband. Um, life is life TR. Do what you can with what you have where you are. Yeah. Brilliant. One of the other things that you you mentioned, which is also very interesting, is imagine if you were an alien, come to planet Earth and had absolutely the no Martian, Martians, yes. the Martians. Yes. Imagine if you came down to planet Earth and you had absolutely no prior knowledge to this event. How would you look at something? Which is a very interesting thing because people bring their own judgments, their own opinions, mm-hmm. other people's opinions to something. So examining something from a perspective of knowing absolutely nothing about it. It makes a difference. The quick example I'll give you, and then I'll tell you the gorgeous story. If you and I were sitting across from each other and you had water coming out of your eyes, I might say, why are you crying? But the Martian would come toddling up to you now. Why is there water coming from your eyes? And the Martian could be right because maybe your contact lenses are bugging you, or maybe you have allergies, or maybe there's an emotional basis. The way I saw this work best There was a gentleman who was married, had a kid. He was in a terrible car accident. They fixed him, but his face kind of looked like spin art. He was terribly embarrassed with the way he looked. And he always kind of walked around like the hunchback of Notre Dame. But he was still married and had a kid. One night he was putting his daughter to bed. She grabbed his face and she smushed it next to hers. And she said, this would be a great picture, but it would be better if mommy's face were in the picture. Now. Old think him would be, oh, my God, even my daughter thinks I'm hideous. And talk about trauma. But instead, he knew to be a Martian. And he looked at her and he said, why would it be better if mommy's face were in the picture? She just looks at him and says, because mommy can't hold the camera still and you take the pictures. Look at the lifetime of trauma he avoided with one question Mm -hmm. and admitting I may not have all the answers. Absolutely. Yeah, very, very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. As I said, it, it's such an amazing book. And there was another part in that I found interesting where you kind of uh, mentioned the different type of people. You know, the person yes. who always has to keep themselves busy. There were a few other examples which were very interesting. And I guess yes. we can all kind of fit into that category. Yeah. The first is toys people. These yep. are the ones that collect depression glass, Star Wars figurines, whatever. 
Then there's Rolodex people. And I, I, you know, that dates me. I love um, that Rolodex. I know. Uh, for, for those of you who are not as old as I am, a Rolodex used to be this big wheel with tiny little cards on your desk. And the bigger and fatter the wheel, the more people you knew, the more important you were. Rolodex people collect people, but they, they're just collecting you to collect you. They don't really want a relationship. Then there's been there, done that people. These are the deadheads that have gone to every Grateful Dead concert. These are the people that have to go to the restaurant the day it opens and, and, and. And then there are connection people. Let's take the advantage of doing uh, Thanksgiving dinner for the homeless. You're not doing it because you want to say, see, I did it. You're doing it in service. You know that putting food on a plate for someone that maybe hasn't eaten in two days and handing it to them and giving them nourishment and looking them in the eye and acknowledging their humanity creates synergy between the two of you. That's why connections people to me have the most valuable lives. Not that I'm valuing them more, but it brings more into who they are rather than toys and Rolodexes and been there, done that. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many different things in the book. And as I said, I don't want to get into it all and spoil it. It really does deserve to be picked up and read. Um, one of the other parts that you mentioned about, um, and I guess this kind of feeds into, into the thing you were talking about, boundaries, is about sugar, your sugar levels. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that that was uh, stress is the shot across the bow. Yep. That means one thing that happens that is so impactful, it's you know, the one lesson. And I was doing an event. Um, it was a village wide garden party. And I was doing readings at my favorite cafe bakery. It was mobbed, hadn't eaten since this morning. So, but I needed to do something. So I grabbed a couple of their raspberry bars from the back of the kitchen and ate them. Now these are gorgeous, wonderful, real sugar, real flour, etc. And probably this much would have been fine. The bar I grabbed was that big because it hadn't been cut up yet. I wolfed it down, contingent street. And then all of a sudden, um, my heart started hammering. And I realized that much sugar spikes your blood pressure and gives you heart palpitations. And I was still supposed to read for the entire afternoon through that. Never again. Never again. So that was shot across the bow. Yeah, you have a whole big section devoted to stress, which I guess in this modern day and age is very, very important for for people with a busy kind of lifestyle that has been forced upon people. One of the very touching things that I found in the book, just recollecting it, was talking about the, the life that your mother had led and your domineering grandmother Yes. You know, who completely and utterly dominated your father so much that he could not make it his own decisions, never wanted him to marry your mother. And so she led a lifetime of feeling completely under uh, appreciated and sought to make up in different ways by constantly making herself look glamorous. And mm-hmm. um, ultimately, your mother passed on. Your father met someone else who was the complete opposite. Of that person, yes. and it completely yes. uh, taught you to look at life in a completely different way. 
Um, and from what I can remember, it was a, a massive source of inspiration to you. Really did not particularly care what your grandmother thought. Well, my grandmother was dead. All right. Point. Well, that would explain. Um, you know, that was that was the the bitterly ironic thing is yeah. my grandmother died at the age of 84. And six weeks later, my mother died at the age of 59. She never had the chance. And remember, I said she was cross addicted with alcohol and barbiturates. Yeah. She wasn't before she was married to my father. But my grandmother was so relentless in cutting her down. And my father was unable to stand up for her that mom had to do something to numb the pain. And she did booze and she did pills. Yeah. But I that's think not what, who she was in the beginning. Yeah. I, I just think what, what's so the lesson to, to be taken out of that is the value of going, this is my life. I'm here to lead it. You know, regardless of what other people think of me, regardless mm -hmm. of other people's opinions. And that's why your life is such an inspiration to, to anyone who either knows you or have read about it, because you could have quite clearly went down that path. And instead, you didn't. You followed your dreams and mm -hmm. you don't have the wealth that is associated with your family. But where you are now is completely your dream. You know, you have the partner of your dream, the house of your dream, the view of your dream and the life that you're leading. And now you're giving back in so, so many ways. So I just think it's so, so inspiring. And that's what was so inspiring about that part of your book. Thank it you. Really I mean, was. does my family, big chunks of it still think I'm a failure? Yeah, they always will. But I know I'm not. And so I, you know, I tell my clients this. There are two magic phrases. Thank you for sharing. You may think that if you wish. Then you go live your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and if anyone is looking for a self help book that isn't going to tell them how to 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 get that self help, but is going to force them to look at their own life instead of relying, invite, 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 that force. Like, invite. It's just so ironic. They're picking up a self help book that they're looking for someone else to tell them how to you know live their life. And instead, mm -hmm. what they're getting through this self-help book is the, the 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 arrow or the finger turned back upon themselves to say that you ultimately are responsible for your own life, mm -hmm. you know, rather than reading someone else's words. So I, I really can't promote that enough. And um, just before we wrap up here, then Corey, um, Corby, I'd love to have you back on again because you're such a uh, a fabulous lady, such a fabulous talker, such a happy yeah, to come back. Absolutely, yeah. Once I get through the second book, we'll get you back on to talk, um, and we could just we could talk all night. Um, is is I'm kind of wondering what what the future kind of holds in for you. You know, have you any kind of other plans? You know that that are kind of laid or whatever. I'm assuming that this is this is your service now. You know, I'm assuming that you're cutting down doing the readings and stuff like that. No, and you're no, no, no. you're still doing them. That's still crazy. doing. Still doing six days a week, a thousand people a year. It's too much wow. fun. I love doing what I do. Wow. So um, I want to continue doing these podcasts. Um, the totally revised website, which is so gorgeous. It's done by a lady in the UK. Uh, her business is The Divine in the Design. That comes out the end of May. Um, yes, I want to do more YouTube videos. And um, I'm sure there's going to be some more writing. Right now, I'm writing on medium.com, which is a great yeah. open blog. And there, I have 100 articles up there. You want to go see what I'm doing these days, go to medium.com and look for Corby Midline. Um, I'm busy having fun. 
I'm busy being married. Uh, I'm, I'm busy having a life. You know? <laughs> I, I, I created this career because I would never have to retire. I could read until I'm two weeks dead. And at that point, I'll still be working with people, but somebody else has to channel me and I won't have specific business hours. That's all it is. <laughs> that, that will be fun seeing somebody channel you when, when you eventually make God help them. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> I would not like to be the person who's bringing you through because I'm sure your your sharp wit will upset a few people. Um, just get on with your life, for God's sake. Um, mm. Yeah, you you do look as if you're having fun. As I said, it's hard to believe that you're over seventy years of age. It's it's. I'm not. not. It's sixty seven. Give me those three years. <laughs> Polly, you do not even look it. You know, despite this Cruella Deville kind of um her style that you have there but your dress oh, that's either a wisdom streak or a skunk stripe depending on <laughs> who looks at it it's it's fabulous even your dress sense i'm i'm loving this cape or shawl whatever you call run it on this it's a butterfly coat friend oh, of mine makes it for me you see i don't get to wear those things unfortunately they're, they're kind of denied to me um and your and your lovely boudoir behind you there um, so you really do look as oh please happy. zenith what that is i have a tiny 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 office and the screen and the red velvet curtain hides the bookshelves in the cat box. <laughs> Let's be real here. Do not spoil the illusion, please. Do, no, it's it's <laughs> it's podcast TR. Do what you can with what you have where you are. It looks fabulous all the same. It really does. Thanks. You do look as if you're having fun. I was going to say to you that um, something you may want to, to look into, which I've just kind of discovered there, Mm -hmm. um is this kind of wisdom up and um i kind of discovered it uh by accident i didn't quite know what it was and um when i discovered what it was I was like oh nope i'm not doing this it's kind of like a live talk mm -hmm. that you do you can just kind of go on and then people who are listening to your talk and just come on or request it to come on to, to be your guest and you just have a, a great conversation i found it a very inclusive very open community which is even more interactive and fun dare i say than just even doing these podcasts because That's basically I, I i i was no interest in giving any trainings like i had no interest in um doing video interviews but hey ho you know this was my plan before i came here i was kind of told that this is what i should be doing but um rejected it uh, uh for for a long time because i just wanted to keep everything private um, but look, look at me now and doing these kind of interviews. Um, but yeah, the, the, that kind of thing was like, well, okay, this is kind of live format where you talk live and people, no, I'm not doing that. Nope. Uh, I went on to record what I thought was a personal private message. Like the email said, record your two minute message so people can understand what you're talking about. And like you, I love to talk. Two minutes turned into 10 minutes. And mm -hmm. then I realized, oh my God, this is life. There are people listening to me. Ah, this is not what I wanted. So I thought, okay, I'll wrap up my message, what I'm talking about. And then the screen started flashing. You have a guest waiting. You have a guest waiting. And I was completely unprepared for this. Oh my God, I have a guest. What, what am I going to talk about? What what platform is this? I haven't heard about Wisdom. It. It's an app that you, you download onto your phone. Um, I'm writing this down. Sounds yeah, like it's, it's, fun. It's, it's a great community. There are people from from all walks of life on it. They just come on. You talk into your phone. I just go right. Well, okay, I'm going to talk about this and see where I'm going to go with it. 
And, you know, people who are listening, come on and say, like, I just wanted to come on. I'm really vibing with your message. And you just have a conversation with them about whatever. And it's just great. And obviously then people can follow you if they if they want to tune in. And if you, even if they don't get live, if they are following, they can go back and listen to your, your recorded message. So I've just found that I think it really does have potential to, to open this up. It's a community you know, we can thrive. We and the thing about it, you can't vet anyone who's coming through. You don't know mm-hmm. what they are, who they are. So you're just taking it on blind faith. They're going to come on and, and you just have a conversation. So I found it interesting. And I think that it could be something for you to 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 broadcast your your ever more um increasing talents and, and your message to the world. I really do I think it would be great for you. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, and I, like I'll be your and I am gonna look at it. Yeah, I'll be your first guest, so I will. <laughs> yeah, so Corby, um, just then, just briefly then, uh, let us know where everyone can find you. Um, oh, Zenith, they can't avoid me. Um, <laughs> really, they can't. CorbyMidlide.com is the website. You can find me YouTube, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Patreon, Medium, all under CorbyMitlide.com. The only one that's different is on Facebook. You look for Fire Through Spirit. Uh huh. Yep. So everywhere except TikTok, then really. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> I'll post the links anyway in 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 the, in the video chat so that everyone can know about you, Corby. It's just been an absolute pleasure. I'm just so glad. It just seemed to be that things were seemed to be against us because this interview was meant to happen a long time ago. And I thought by the time this interview got round, I would definitely have your second book read. But as you know, there are so many demands on our time. But I'm mm-hmm. really glad to have actually had you on. You're such an inspiration to anyone listening. I've enjoyed listening to your life story. You've inspired me. Um, I'm really appreciative that you've sent me your books to read. I thoroughly enjoyed your first one. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into your second one. And as I said, for any aspiring psychic, any aspiring medium, this is the person that you need to be um, going to. Um, I'm just kind of expecting you to sit there with a, with a cat in your, your kind of arm straight. My 27-pound Maine Coon, yeah. <laughs> so, Yeah, but look, it's been an absolute honor, an absolute pleasure. I... I, I don't quite know what to say. I don't want to say I wish you all the luck in the world and good luck for the future, but you've been there, done it, and you're still still no kind of setback, no no kind of cutting back. So, you know, for as long as you continue to do what you're doing, then as long as you're enjoying it, then may, may the grace of God be with you, I guess. And hopefully I'll see you on this, this, this and, wisdom where, where you'll be sharing some of your wisdom anyway. And as we say here in the States, at least up in New York, yeah, I'll come back on the show. We'll talk. We'll have coffee, you know. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Corby, and we'll see you again. Yes. Be well. Be safe.